Uh, this morning we are in the book of Revelation. We're continuing our study through. We're in um, verse 8. We're going to make it through verse 8 uh, on down through verse 11. We're reading about the second letter that was written to the churches, the ancient churches in Asia Minor. These were all in Greek, uh, in, in, they were Greek churches, they were, they were mixed with uh, Hebrew people as well as uh, Gentiles, and this, this letter is specifically to the church in Smyrna. So we're going to go ahead and pray this morning as we pray, and pray for the other uh, churches also in our community. Uh, this week, let's pray for the E-Free Church. Also, just a side note, um, I got a, a message this week that uh, the... Uh, I don't remember the name that they have of their church now. It's the Baptist Church over on Monroe Street. Pastor Tom Kilgore, we prayed for him before. I think about three or four months ago, I told you he'd got a clean bill of health on his cancer. Uh, it's come back. So I, I heard last week that he's taking, again, some uh, uh, chemotherapy treatments. So please be praying for Pastor Tom in your prayers as well uh, as the congregation there. As they, I'm sure they love their pastor and um, it's a sad thing. And um, we know God's doing a good work in it. Um, so pray for him. But pray for Pastor Jim and the Efree Church this morning as well. They're one of the churches that partner with us in the, in the um, bridge ministry and help and serve there. Uh, Daniel's the youth pastor. And he's one of the teachers also at the Winter National Retreat this weekend. So let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this time together where we can worship you in song. I pray, God, that our hearts and minds would continue to be focused on you and worship you as we submit ourselves to um, the words that you'll speak to us, God, as we read and study your words, Lord. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would discipline us as need be, that you would correct us as need be, that you'd encourage us, Lord, as need be, meeting each one of us right where we're at. We pray for Pastor Jim and the uh, people that go there, our brothers and sisters that go to the E-Free Church, and um, Lord, as they also have a, a group of kids that have been sent up to um, the Winter National Retreat along with ours and those from Christian Family Fellowship and from um, uh, Grandview Christian, we ask God that together we would glorify you as a body of believers who love you, who worship you. And Lord, that our children would be blessed, that they would see that there are other people who know you and love you, that are in their same age group, that are in this community, and they go back into their, their classrooms and to be encouraged to see faces of, of, of their friends and those who they've made acquaintances with who, who love you, and they would give them courage and boldness, Lord, to stand for you in this dark world. And Lord, as we as come alongside our brothers and sisters at the E-Free Church today in prayer and Pastor Jim. We lift them up to you, God, and that they would be encouraged, Lord, that your word would be taught, <clears throat> God, that they would worship you in spirit and truth. You'd meet the needs that they have, Lord, and you'd protect and provide for them. And Lord, we love you. We know that you're here with us. I pray, God, that you would help us to um, be expectant, to see your face this morning, to hear from you, and to know you more. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 8, chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemies of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of 
a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which are about which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And Lord, we thank you, God, that we have this hope of eternal life, that beyond this life, there is a life and a hope. And it's because of your Son, Jesus, the first and the last. He who um, was dead and has come back to life. Lord, the Bible tells us that your Son, Jesus, is the first fruits of many to come. And for those who have put our faith in you, Lord, we believe and know that we are those two who will be resurrected into a new life. Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray, God, that that truth would encourage us just like it was intended to encourage those so many years ago in this church in Smyrna. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, and that gives us our greeting. It also lets us know who it's being written to. This is the second letter in, um, uh, of seven, and this, this letter is the first of, of two, only two, where Jesus has encouragement and approval to speak without any re- words of rebuke. And when we first began this, we said that, that two out of the, the seven uh, are like this. Uh, uh, the other five specifically have a rebuke, a correction, and a call to, to repentance, to return uh, uh, back to him and leave the, that place where they've gone. This message here is, is only words of encouragement. Now, Smyrna, like I said earlier, was a Greek city, a city. It was unique in that it had a large Jewish colony, a large Jewish settlement there. Um, and, and this city was located about 30 miles north of Ephesus, and so if you go to a map, maybe you have a map in the Bible, and you look at modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor, depending on how your map reads it, and you go all the way to the west, you'll see the Aegean Sea. This is where Ephesus and Smyrna were located. Uh, we talked about Ephesus last week, and that was what the first letter was written to the church in Ephesus, the church that had uh, left their first love. And, um, and uh, so due north of Ephesus was Smyrna, also resting on the Aegean Sea. And like Ephesus, uh, Smyrna was a city of wealth. In fact, it made the claim, Smyrna made the claim to be at this time the glory of Asia. And um, unlike many ancient cities that now lie in ruins, Smyrna is still thriving, even though it was once concert, conquered by Alexander the Great, and also the Ottoman Empire. In fact, um, it was called Smyrna up until 1930 when it was renamed Izmir, which is now the third largest city in Turkey. Now, the name of this ancient city was derived from the word myrrh, and we've probably all heard that word before, myrrh. Uh, because it was one of the main products that was produced there in that area, myrrh. And myrrh means bitter, and it's a resin that is taken from a uh, shrubby tree that still grows in that region today. Um, And one of the primary uses of myrrh at that time was for embalming the dead. And it's interesting to note, as you guys have probably heard this word before, that myrrh was one of the gifts, if you remember, that the kings, the wise men, 
had brought to baby Jesus um, after his birth. And it's a prophetic picture that, that myrrh, as it was used as, a, as an embalming agent uh, in, in, in ancient times, it's a, it was a picture, that gift was a picture of Jesus' uh, coming death upon the cross. And we, we don't know for sure when or how this church was started. Uh, we know, like, when we, we look back in the New Testament, that Paul was the one who started Ephesus. It's possible that he also uh, was the planter of the church here as he was making his, his missionary journeys through Asia Minor. Uh, we just don't, we're not told for sure. We don't know if it was him. Uh, it could have been Apollos, who was also in the region doing the same things. We, we do read about him in the New Testament, but uh, we don't know how the church got its start. But what we do know is that this church was faithful to Jesus even in the midst of persecution. Even in the midst of this great suffering that came upon them that led to many of their deaths and even eventually to the death of their pastor, a man by the name of Polycarp, who was burned at a stake for refusing to burn incense to the Roman Empire. And this took place in 155 AD. And this account, this historical record, is found in an ancient, in an ancient um, church manuscript called the Martyrdom of Polycarp, and it's got a, da- a publication date of uh, 160 A.D. Maybe that's not the right word uh, as far as publication, but it, was, it, it's, it bears the, the date of 160 A.D. It's called the Martyrdom of Polycarp. You can go and check it out. There's copies of it, digital copies of it online. It's a pretty cool account. And in this account, it says that when Polycarp was brought before the pro-council, and tried, he was sentenced to death by them. And again, this was for, for um, they would say, they called him an atheist, ironically enough, for his unwillingness to worship Caesar as God, to pay tribute to him as Lord. And, and, and yet the, the proconsul, even after declaring him uh, to death or sentencing him to death, they urged him to save his life by cursing Christ and they promised to set him free if he would do so. And they did this because Polycarp was well-liked. He was loved by the people in there in Smyrna, not only by those whom he pastored, but by those in the city. And so angry crowds gathered together when they heard that he had been arrested. And um, this is why the proconsul was kind of giving this, him, the, the, him this out to, to denounce Christ and be saved. But as you can imagine, Polycarp refused. He refused to do so, and he answered the pro-council. When he answered them, history records these words that he had spoke. He said this. He said, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And when the pro-council threatened Polycarp further, uh, first saying that they would have him thrown to wild beasts, and then saying that they would have him be burned to the stake and consumed by fire, Polycarp replied with this. He says, You threaten me with a fire which burns for an hour, and after a little is quenched. For you know not the fire of the future judgment and of the eternal punishment which is reserved for the impious. But why do you delay? Do what you will. And consequently, we know that Polycarp was taken to a stadium and he was to be where he was to be burned at a stake. And um, he, when he was being tied to the stake and he was waiting for the, the fire to be lit, he prayed this prayer. It's a little loud or it's a little long, but he prayed this 
prayer out loud for all to hear. I want to read it to you. It's recorded in this ancient writing. He said this. He said, Lord God Almighty, Father of your blessed and beloved child, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, God of angels and hosts of all creation and of the whole race of the upright people who live in your presence, I bless you that you have thought me worthy of this day and hour to be numbered among the martyrs and share in the cup of Christ for resurrection to eternal life, for soul and body in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. Among them I may be accepted before you today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice, just as you, the faithful and true God, have prepared and foreshown and brought about And for this reason and for all things, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved child, through whom be glory to you with him and the Holy Spirit now and for the ages to come. Amen. And with those final words, with that amen, we know that the fire that was supposed to take Polycarp's life was lit But miraculously, we're told that the flames failed to touch him as the fire shaped itself into the form of an arch like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind, and it formed a circle around Polycarp, leaving him untouched by the flames. But when the evil authorities realized that Polycarp was not touched by the flames, a soldier, by the order of the magistrate, stabbed Polycarp to death with a spear while he was still tied to the stake. And they did this in spite of the miraculous things that they were seeing before their own eyes. Now as we begin to look at this letter addressed to the church in Smyrna, of whom Polycarp was the pastor, kind of gives you a little idea of, of the nature of the church here and the, and the pastor. We see J- Jesus here identify himself to this persecuted church saying in verse 1, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And by this, Jesus was revealing himself to them as the one who has conquered death, a church that was familiar with death. But he, being the one who conquered death through his resurrection, and once again showing this persecuted and suffering church that he was the one that they were in need of. Remember, each one of these descriptions that Jesus gives of himself to these churches was, was, was applicable to the need that they had at that time, at that moment, showing that he was the one that they were in need of. And the remembrance of Jesus conquering death and rising from the grave was an important and comforting truth, I think, at this time for this church to know and to put their focus in in light of the suffering that they were going through and, and the suffering that was still yet to come that Christ was telling them about. And because Jesus had also endured much suffering, they could take comfort in the fact that he understood what they were going through. That's what he was letting them know. And even if they, if they would have to suffer and to the point of death, they would continue to live just as he continues to live because of this promise, because he was the one who had conquered death. And so even though they were, they were dealing, this church, these people, these individuals with some very hard things, they could look to Jesus and, and into eternity and still have hope still be filled with a peace that surpassed the understanding of the circumstances and the situations that they were facing. And even for us in our times of suffering, I think we can look at this and we can glean that we can take comfort and, 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 and find strength in knowing that we have a Savior, 
that we have a friend, that we have a great high priest who has risen from the grave, and as the Bible tells us, he's passed into the heavens and personally understands the trials that we face, the struggles that we go through, and the feelings that come along with those things. In fact, you know that in Hebrews chapter 4, we're told this, that because Jesus is able to sympathize with us, listen, because he's able to sympathize with us, we can go boldly, confidently to his throne of grace and find help in our times of need. And Jesus, he wanted the Christians in Smyrna, whom he cared about, who were, who were greatly suffering or suffering greatly, to know that he knew of their suffering, that he knew of their suffering, and, and that they could come to him in their time of need. And look in verse 9, Jesus says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And again, he says it, I know the blasphemies of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are in the synagogue of Satan. So twice in this verse, Jesus, with these words of assurance, say, says to them, I know, I know. I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, and I know the blasphemies that you're going through that are being brought against you, the evils that are being perpetrated. And Jesus did know about the troubles that they were going through, first and foremost because he had seen them. And I love that because even in the book of Psalms, we read many times where the psalmist David or Asaph or, or any of the others who wrote the Psalms, they would cry out to God and say, God, in their time of trouble, in their time of need, God, do you even see me? Do you even, are you even aware of what I, what's going on in my life? And sometimes we can feel that very same way in those moments of despair. When we're overwhelmed by the things that have come upon us. Or even the things that we've got ourselves into. And Jesus said he knew. He knew because he had seen them. But more importantly, he knew what they were going through because he, as we already mentioned, had also suffered. He had also been persecuted. He knew of their hardships by his own personal experiences. And in the Bible, it tells us that we are to comfort one another with the same comfort that we've received from God. In other words, those things that we've gone through and how we've been comforted, we, we look for others who are going through the same things, and we go, I know what that's like. I know. And we comfort them with the same comfort that we've received. And in John chapter 15, verse 20, speaking about the persecution that, that Jesus would endure he said, remember the word that I say to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And the church of Smyrna, they were experiencing exactly what Jesus had said to expect. But Jesus had also said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11-12, through 12, He says this, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. And many times there's, 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 there's never, we, then many times we run into situations like this um, where we're, where we're facing these kinds of things. And, 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 and so we're, we're, we're being persecuted for, for, for the sake of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and even though the church in Smyrna was suffering because of their faith and of their commitment to Jesus, what we read in here by the words of Jesus Christ is that they did not have to be sad. 
they did not have to be discouraged. Rather, they could rejoice and be glad. And I want to be clear in saying this, not because of the suffering. They weren't rejoicing because of of the suffering. Even Polycarp, when he was there praying, he wasn't rejoicing in his prayer because he was going to be burned to death, but because of who Christ was and the, and, the, and the honor that he felt he was receiving for God to, to, to allow him to, to be persecuted in, for his namesake in this way, that God would be glorified through it. And they weren't, they, they weren't to rejoice because of the suffering, but because Jesus had seen their suffering, they could rejoice. Because he had promised that when they reached heaven, they would be greatly rewarded. That was where the rejoicing rested, where it could rest in. And the same is true for us. The point is, is there are hard and difficult things in this life that we all go through. Things that um, are unfair. Things that are unjust. And things, I think, that we at times think that no per- person should ever have to endure or go through. And in those times, there is often never a good earthly reason for why God will allow for these things to happen. Right? We go, why? 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 Because we know there's no earthly reason, no good earthly reason for why God would allow these kinds of evil things to happen, either to us or to someone we know or someone we love. And yet when these things happen, we might even feel like God has closed his eyes to us or turned his back to us but this is not true and this these verses these words of jesus remind us of this verse 9 reminds us that god does see and that god does know in addition to seeing what we're going through god also sees these unjust unfair and un and and in evil things that are being committed against us and even if there is never listen this, this can be hard, but it's a truth. Even though there may never be justice for us this side of eternity, we can rest assured and be glad in the fact that when we get to heaven, Jesus who knows, who tells us he knows, who sees, Jesus who knows will greatly reward us. That's what he's telling the church here in Smyrna. And that he will also justly deal with the evil. There's coming a time. Now, I'll be the first to confess that when people are speaking evil of you, or when they gossip about you, when they lie about you, when they say malicious things about you or your character, or when you are reviled, the truth is, is it hurts. And it doesn't feel like a blessing in any way. And when someone is persecuting you, literally causing you to to physically suffer or emotionally suffer, or causing a threat to your life, rejoicing is probably not your first response. I, I can honestly tell you that's not my first response. And when someone is lying about you or falsely accusing you of things you did, did not say or, or, or do, being glad is probably not the first response. But when these things are happening, we need to put our trust in Jesus. We need to take encouragement and comfort in the fact that he knows. And even if the persecution, even if the lies and the the untrue things, even if this persecution that you're under, the suffering that you're in, the trial that you're in, is, is coming from someone you have trusted in, someone who you've thought is a friend, you can still trust in Jesus. 
You see, the church of Smyrna was experiencing persecution on, on, on different fronts when we look at it and study it out and we even read here. First, we know they were being persecuted by the Roman government. They were also being persecuted from these Jews who lived in Smyrna, who are mentioned by name in this passage of Scripture. And they were even being being persecuted from those whom they had trusted in, many times family members, as it was very common at this time to to be disowned by your family members after becoming a Christian. And if you were reported to the Roman government, you would lose all rights, and you would even be arrested and put to death. Could be. But if you were not arrested, if you were not put to death, at the very least, you were condemned to live a life of poverty. No one would give you a job. You would lose the job that you had. You couldn't provide for yourself. There was a suffering in that just of itself. And sadly, I think this is still a common form of persecution against many Christians in many countries today. And we hear about it all the time. People in China or people in Muslim countries who become Christians who put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're completely, they're completely ostracized and, and, and put out by their community, if not put to death. But Jesus, who knew exactly what they in Smyrna were going through, also spoke about, I love this, he also spoke about knowing He spoke of knowing about those who were persecuting them. And man, I find great comfort in that too. Not only does God know and see me when I'm going through these things, and he knows of the suffering and the persecution personally and intimately because of the persecution and suffering that he endured while he was on this earth, but he also knows of those who are persecuting me. God, did you see what he just did? He's all, yeah, I saw and that's like, like kids going to their parents sometimes. Dad, do you know what my sister did to me? Or, you know, and, and, and whether it, it, it can be someone from within and someone, with, someone from without. It can be an enemy and it can be even someone in the church who can offend us or hurt us or bring a tribulation into our lives. But God knows. He knew. He saw those who were persecuting them and said that even though, listen, even though some of them claimed to be Jews, Jesus said, they were only Jews in name. He knew them. He saw behind the facade of who they were pretending to be. They were Jews in name, and he said they were actually of the synagogue of Satan, meaning that even though they were Hebrews, literally descendants of Abraham who claimed to be the true sons of God, he said that they weren't. They weren't true sons of God. They were the synagogue of Satan. Literally, they were sons of Satan. And in, in, in persecuting the believers in Smyrna, they were actually doing the work of Satan. In other words, they, have, they may have been, these, this group of Jews may have been saying that they were doing these things in the name of God, and even the Romans, for that matter, as they persecuted them, believing that Caesar or receiving Caesar as their God, a false God, but, but here's the deal, they, they were claiming to have do these evil things in the name of God, but what they were really doing was not in line with the nature, character, or the will of God. And I'm pointing that out because I think these same kind of things happen today. And this is important to point out because there are times when bad things are done to us by people who claim to be righteous or claim to be doing a good thing. Especially in the world that we live in now where there's such a warped sense of what, what is good and what is evil right? 
And we're going to see this more and more and more, I think, where people who believe they're doing a good thing are actually perpetrating evil against God's people. We've been sheltered from it, I think, in the United States, but it happens in the world everywhere. And in the midst of the, of the pain and the suffering that we are experiencing in those times, we, rightly, we might wrongly conclude that we in some way deserve what is happening simply because of who it might be coming from. But to hurt someone, listen, to hurt someone in any way and to then call it good or to do it in the name of God who is good, that's a blasphemy. And I think this is probably the best way to describe the sin of blasphemy and and the sin of doing something in the name of God that is not in line with the revealed nature, character, or will of God seems to be rapidly infecting, I think, the church today. Not only by the way, listen, not only by the way many people who claim the name of Jesus are living their lives, but also by the teachers and leaders who are in the church who reject the word of God and in doing so seek to present God in a way that is contrary to what the word of God reveals him to be. That's a blasphemy. And in both of these instances, the acts of blasphemy uh, in, both of these, in both of these instances are acts of blasphemy, and it's not something that God will take lightly, according to what we read here. Not only by those claiming to be Christians and not living like Christians, or those who stand in pulpits and present God in a light that he has not ever represented himself to be. In fact, God spoke against these kinds of things in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, and he said it just like this. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And I believe this is, this is what defines the time that we're living in, and I believe this is what will, will further reveal and manifest itself to be the way that it is, where people are calling good evil and evil good. And doing things in the name of good that are evil. And here in verse 10, if you look, Jesus went on to say, however, here's an encouragement for us, I think, in the time that we're living in. And also for those, obviously, in the day in which this letter was given to them. Jesus said, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And the truth is, is when we're going through a time of suffering, I don't know about you, but I think it's true for all of us, and you can, you can agree or disagree or whatever, but, but when we're going through a time of suffering, I think more often our time of prayers, or our, our prayers in that time is not for God to um, um, see us through it, but it's to, it, the prayer is for God to take it away. God, take it away. Get me out of this. Deliver me. Set me free. And sometimes God does take it away, but I have found most of the time that he doesn't take the trial away. Rather, he's faithful to walk with me through it. That's, that's what takes place. And clearly, Jesus did not take away the persecution of the suffering that the church in Smyrna was going through. And this is because these things that the church, that, that the church was going through, the things that, that Jesus even said that Satan was intending for evil were things that God was using for good. 
And in the end, the persecution was God's testing. In the end, the persecution was God's refining for the believers there in Smyrna. And the persecution that, that was not, re, that was not re, removed ultimately was the means or the cause by which they drew closer to him to receive the help that they needed. Likewise, guys, the hard and difficult things that, that, that we may not be able to escape are an opportunity for us to be refined. They're an opportunity for us to grow spiritually. And it's, it's, I think, first and foremost, it is like it was for Polycarp. It is an opportunity for God to be glorified through us as we draw near to Him in our time of suffering, in our trial. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, you know, I've learned to be content in all things. Whether I've had a little or whether I've had a lot. Whether I've, I've been abased or whether I've abounded. And that contentment that he's speaking about is this contentment that leads to godliness, which is a great gain, it says in the book of Timothy. And through that, learning, Paul says, as he says, I've learned to do this, whether I've had a little or a lot, to, to be content. He's actually speaking, literally speaking, about glorifying God no matter what. I've learned how to do that. I've learned how to live godly, to give glory to God, whether I've had a little or whether I've had a lot, in times of trouble or in times of, of, of rejoicing. And, and, and I think that's the challenge for us today as well. Listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7. through 7. He said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to praise, honor, and glory God at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Also in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 4 through, or excuse me, verses 12 to 13, Peter wrote and said, He said, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when, when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, Guys, this is just my opinion, but I believe that one of the main reasons for why the church in America, I think overall, has not been and is not characterized as holy and pure is because we've not suffered. We've not experienced persecution like the church has in so many other places in the world or the church has down through the history of the church. In fact, when we look at church history, I think we as the church in America, that we've had it pretty comfortable. And, and in our prosperity, in this place of blessing, we have gone to extremes to avoid anything that makes us feel uncomfortable when something like that comes. And in many ways, we have learned we have not learned, in many ways, we have not learned how to glorify God and be content in this place of blessing. 
and this place of abounding. So as a result, the church in America has become, I think, and he's even characterized as compromising, complacent, lazy, fat, fat with the corruption of the world. Now I want to point out that when Jesus told the church in Smyrna they would have tribulation for 10 days, we might think that an odd thing. Why 10 days? Is it only going to be 10 days of suffering? And I'm sure they at that time go, oh, maybe it's only 10 more days. But, but remember, this is Jewish book, and there's, there's Jewish language being spoken here, and that's what's going on. And when he spoke this, he was really encouraging them with the fact that the suffering would not last forever. Isn't that an encouraging thing when you're in the midst of the tribulation or the trial you're facing? That when you realize that this isn't going to last forever, that it's temporary? And we can discern this truth when we we consider the fact that the, the number 10 in the Jewish culture really represents a full cycle. Not just a limited amount of time, but a full cycle. And I love that because it speaks to really this, this appointment. You know, it's not just a, a random thing that is arbitrarily happening to them. We see still even that, that God's in control of the, the suffering that, that they're going through, that there's going to be a full cycle to it. And in that cycle, there, it's, it, it, it really also speaks to the fact that there's a work being done in the midst of it, that, that the work that God has seen to do will be done in them through it. And I love that. Because the suffering that we go through that God allows in our life isn't a waste, it's not wasted by God, either in us or through us when we submit to him. And, and one of the, I think, the, the, the single most repeated phrases in the Bible that is used 181 times, which is really a phrase, a, a, a verse of encouragement, is this phrase, it came to pass. 181 times. And the simple little phrase can be so comforting because I think it reminds us even today that even the most difficult things that we go through in this life are temporary. They're temporary. And even if some of the difficult afflictions that we endure, even if they last for this lifetime, they're temporary in light of eternity, are they not? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16-14, through 14, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Speaking of this work that God's doing. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul writing. What did the Apostle Paul go through? I don't know if I could classify his affliction as a light affliction. But yet he says that to the church, relating to them. Stoned and shipwrecked and, and, and these, these torturous things that he went through all for the name of Jesus Christ, being imprisoned and, and um, uh, being rejected. and uh, you know All these things, the, the physical suffering as well as the emotional suffering as a, as a servant, as a follower of Christ. And he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What are we looking at? What are we looking for? 
And I get it. In the time of suffering, in the time of trial, in the time of tribulation, often that's all that we can see. It can block out the eternal perspective. It can block out the bigger picture of maybe my life isn't as bad as I think it is. But God calls us to have this different perspective, to put that suffering, that affliction in the right perspective and live to the glory of God through it. And when we consider this reference to 10 days of persecution, we can see that I think that it's also, I want to point this out, and when we look at the bigger picture, it's also prophetic in light of church history. This Bible this, this book, the book of Revelation, is a book of prophecy, and so there's even a prophetic message within these letters. We spoke about that. And this 10 days of persecution is also pr- prophetic in light of church history. And, 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 and I want to remember, keep in mind that Smyrna was a real church full of real people, but Smyrna, in, in the prophetic application of things, also represents a time in church history which I think appears to have lasted up until 312 A.D., and there's a significant thing that happened on that date. And, 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 and historically, we can look back and see that the, the 10 days spoken of in here in verse 10 are also reflective of 10 major persecutions that the early church went through at the hand of the Roman government, which began with Nero. You remember that guy, right? It began with Nero, and if you look back through, through the, 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 the church history and its, its connection or relationship to the Roman government, you see that there was Nero and nine other Roman emperors up until Constantine, who in 312 AD became a Christian and ended the Roman persecution of the church. And during this time, it is believed, listen, that six million Jews were persecuted and put to death by Rome for refusing to claim or worship one at their time that they were living, the, one of these, these ten Roman emperors as their lord. Six million. But, but listen to this, as we kind of bring it into the day that we're living in now. It's been estimated that from 30 AD up until the time that we're living in, that, that it's been estimated that 70 million Christians have died as martyrs. And yet it's important to point out, guys, that the majority of these these martyrs, unlike what we might expect, the majority of these martyrs did not die in ancient times. In fact, there were 45 million Christians martyred in the 20th century alone. More than half. 45 million that are martyred for their faith. And on average today... You can go to like the website of the Voice of the Martyrs and others like them to get some of these numbers and read what's going on in the world around us outside of this little sheltered world we live in here in America. I thank God for that in one sense, but on the other sense, that sheltering gives us a wrong perspective on what really goes on in the church globally or worldwide today or historically speaking. And, and, and in the Voice of the Martyrs, in the average, they, they estimate that Every five minutes somewhere in the world today, a Christian is martyred for their faith. Every five minutes. But again, the persecution and suffering would only last for a time. And for those who are faithful, those who faithfully endure to them, Jesus says, has been given 
the crown of life. The crown of life. And in verse 11, he says, he says, after saying, I will give you the crown of life, he says, he who is an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I think it goes without saying that life can be very difficult, even in America, where we have a, a, a lot of advantage. Life can still be difficult. And the suffering we experience is real, and, and it may last until the day that we die. I know a lot of people who are, struggle with, even our own church, physical um, uh, uh, sufferings from disease or, or other things, and there's no cure for that, this side of eternity. But the suffering will be over when we receive that crown of life spoken of by Jesus at the end of verse 10. That's our hope. And this crown of life is eternal life, which is given to all believers who finished this race. And the promise for those of us who put our faith in Jesus and freely receive God's gift of grace and forgiveness is that, is that we're not going to be hurt by the second death. There's no escaping this death short of, of the Lord's return and, and us being raptured out of here. But more importantly, we're not going to be hurt by what the Bible says is a second death. And unless Jesus comes back, all of us are going to experience a physical death, and this means that our flesh will perish and our soul will leave this body and immediately be taken to an eternal destination where it says we'll be in the presence of the Lord forevermore. But if you've not put your faith in Jesus and believed and received him as the Son of God who's died on the cross for your sins, you're going to experience the second death that Jesus speaks of here. And the second death is an eternal death. And in doing so, the Bible is clear in saying that you will be condemned to hell and cast into a lake of fire where you will suffer for all eternity. But for those of us who believe in Jesus, guys, for those of us who have accepted God's grace and forgiveness, the Bible tells us that when our soul leaves our body, it will immediately go to be with the Lord and we will receive this promise of eternal life and a glorious eternal home in heaven. A place, listen, where there's no more suffering. A place where there's no more pain, no more tears, and joy forevermore. Doug and Pam, if you guys want to come back up, we'll end with this. The Christians in Smyrna were overcomers who would not be hurt by this second death. They were able to remain faithful unto death in spite of the suffering and persecution they were experiencing because they kept their eyes on the things that are above. The Bible tells us that, to set our minds, to set our eyes, to set our hearts on the things that are above. And, and they did so, and in doing so, they did not set their eyes on the difficulties and the problems that they faced here on this earth. All of their earthly rights Think about this. All of their earthly rights had been stripped away. But they drew new to Jesus and were encouraged and reminded of the fact that they were heavenly citizens, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. I'll end with this. If you want to stand with me, please. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. 
Paul writes and he says, Brothers, join in following my example and note those who so often walk. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ who's in his destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Guy, he's, he's the first and the last. He is the one who is dead and the one who has came to life. May we remember that this morning and take hope and comfort and rejoice as we live this life that he's called us to live, as we endure the things that he's allowed for us to go through, knowing that he knows, knowing that he sees, and knowing that he's prepared a place for us after this life is over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. We thank you for this eternal hope. We thank you for these reminders, God, that this life is temporary and the things that we go through here are, are, are passing away. That you have laid up for us a reward. That you have gone before us to um, prepare a home for us where we can dwell with you. And Lord, that while we wait for your return, you've not left us, you've not forsaken us, that, that you're here with us. And God, I pray that even though the circumstances that we may find ourselves in now or even in the future that are, are, are cause us to suffer, that, that cause us to um, grieve, uh, I pray, Lord, that we would um, embrace those times as times of refining and know, God, that you're with us. Take comfort in the fact that, um, that as you're by our side, Father, that you'll see us through. That the thing that we're going through won't destroy us. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.